0: Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Generations Church, if we haven't already said that a couple times. A couple things. First, Isaiah chapter 60 is where we'll be this morning. And so if you have a Bible, if you turn there, uh, our church has a Bible, uh, church app. Inside of it is the Bible. Uh, You can click on the Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 60. Uh, Next to it, it says notes. And today there are going to be several notes, several things we're going to put on the screen, as we said earlier, And uh, today has a a shift in it. And so we've been in Isaiah. uh, We're 60 chapters in today to a 66 chapter book. So tons has taken place, right? It's like walking in at the end of the movie and the crescendo is coming where the movie pivots and gives you that aha moment, right? And yet, if you're walking in just today, uh, you're catching the aha moment without hearing the background. And so Really, it began with God calling his people to live rightly, uh, to quit living like the world or the nations or the people around them, and to live differently, distinctly as his people. So that's been God's calling for the first, really, 39 chapters of Isaiah. And then 40 through, I think it's 55, is really this interim piece that inserts the gospel, that, that says, listen, Jesus will come, my servant will come, the Holy One of Israel will come. And he will come and redeem all people as miss brooke just said jews and gentiles alike that the whole world will be redeemed by jesus and that this will shift things and when jesus comes he will make us different and so there's a call to be different a call to live differently there's the how you will be empowered to be different and then there's the here's what i want to do once you are different. And that's Isaiah 56 through 66. And that that section is considered the the revival section. Here's what God wants to do in the church. He wants to bring revival through his people. And so these promises come uh, as as Jesus enters into human history and covers our sin. So we are created by God, loved by God, made to be worshipers of God. Now, worship is a much bigger word than just singing songs in church. That that worship of God means that our lives are given over to glorifying and pleasing God. And so that means in our day-to-day, Monday through Friday job, or our Saturday activities, our Sunday time, whatever it might be, seven days a week, every day of the year, that our lives bring glory to God. And so the gospel is that, that though we were created that way, we have sinned or we have gone our own way, chosen to glorify our own selves. And so when we then have that separation in our relationship to God, that sin severs us, like divorces us from God, then God sends Jesus to reconcile that, that in Christ we can be reconciled to God. Now, when, as we're reconciled to God and we're redeemed, which is the term that Isaiah uses a lot, it's taking people who are sinful and unholy and making them holy or set apart from God. And so the gospel unites us through Jesus' life, Death and resurrection, it unites us to God, that when we place our faith, when we place our life in Jesus' hands, that we become different. And so as Jesus ascends back to heaven, he pours out his spirit on the church, that's you and I, all nations, over the world, throughout history, that all of us who are in Christ receive his spirit. And because we have been given his word and his spirit, we are called to live differently. And so now we're back to Isaiah, God calling his people. Now modern day would be the church to not look like the world around them. And in our case, not look like our own, the people around us today, we're in this weird place where we look a lot like the people around us. And this has been something we've been pressing into that Christians are equally divided into politics, Democrat and Republican, that, that Christians are equally divided. And I don't, when I say equally, I don't mean there's the same number of both. I just mean that just like the world around us, we're divided. Just like the world around us, we see Christians living together who are not married, just like the world around us. Just like the world around us, we see Christians that are married getting divorced, just like the world around us. On social media, we see Christians talking in ugly terms, angry terms, not helpful terms, just like the world around us. And so modern day snapshot, the church in america looks just like the world around us so the words of god to isaiah to his people resonate with us today so the last few chapters have been as as miss brooks said earlier they've been about god saying listen here's the problem here's what you're doing that doesn't that prevents me from coming to you here's what you're doing that prohibits me from bringing revival again you look like the world around you you lack justice You're not fair to all people around you. You lack righteousness. Your deeds are not in line with what is right. That your worship is flawed, that you give your worship all over the place, and God is secondary, if that. Then in this, that God returns and calls us to return. So today, Isaiah pivots. It takes the gospel that we are reconciled to God, that we are a redeemed people through Jesus, and it pivots to, now what have you lived like that? And so today is a a message of God's hope, of God's promise. In fact, I'll give you kind of a starting note, if you will. When all around us is corruption, violence, unrest, injustice, and politics of division, where do we turn for hope? God has promised not just an eternity of peace, but also an earthly peace we can experience today. So God has promised us a reconciled world, a redeemed world eternally, but where do we look today? Is it just to eternity? And, I, and let me say this, too many Christians right now are, are, are just looking towards an eternal hope, an eternal future, and they're missing that Jesus says, my kingdom is here, my kingdom is at hand, my kingdom is now. We get to step into Christ's kingdom today. We live in a, in a, in a place or in a time, in a season where uh, Bible scholars, theologians call the now and the not yet the things that are true now and are also true not yet. In other words, Jesus has begun them, but they're not exactly as they would be, not exactly as Jesus would have them, but He is accomplishing that. And he's accomplishing that through his church. So now we 're back to Isaiah. God's saying, "I want to bring revival through the church, but church." You look just like the world around you. I won't bring revival through you until you're a distinct people. So that's where we pick up today, Isaiah chapter 60. I want to pray for us, and then we will open up that passage. God, thank you that we get to gather today. Thank you for the Fourth of July. Lord, we are grateful in America to have the rights that we have. We know that in other nations and other countries, those rights are not ours. Those rights are not the same. Not everywhere do you get to stand up and say, I believe this is wrong. Not everywhere do they even have a freedom of a social media where they can say what they want. Lord, as ugly as ours can be, as ugly as it can get, we are free to speak. And we appreciate that. We celebrate that on July 4th. God, as Christians, however, even if we're given the freedoms by our nation, we're not always allowed to take advantage of all of them. We don't always get to say what we want. We don't always get the freedom to act in any way we want, not in being consistent with you, we don't. We've spent time there, God, on how we are different. Today, you give us hope. Today, you tell us what it can look like, what it can be, if we will just turn and follow you, if we will just live distinctly as your people in the ways that you have called us to. So God, will you you change our hearts today? Jesus, will you speak to our hearts today? Holy Spirit, will you empower us to live distinctly and differently today? May we all be, may we all be convicted. May we all see the places where our hearts and our lives need to change. Let us hear your words today, Jesus, because your words give us life Let me fade into the background. Will you come and speak to us, your church dispersed, but gathered over the internet? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 60 is where we are. I'm going to back up. I'm going to do the same thing that Brooke did. I'm going to back up two verses. And so Isaiah 59 verse 20 is where I'm going to start. It says this, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. So God declares a Redeemer, Jesus, will come. That He will come and He will redeem or transform or change. Redeem is that idea, I think, of a, a used soda can, that aluminum can that we get our drink in, and then when we're done with that drink, we crush it up and we throw it away. Well, it used to be for a long time, we just threw it in the trash, right? And then came along people that wanted to recycle and redeem those so you could go and take your cans in and you could get paid for them, right? I'm sure that still happens. Most of us now have separate trash cans, and the city does that. They redeem them. They bring them back. And it's taking that idea of something that used to be trash, something that we used to throw away, and making it clean and new and reusable. And that's that same idea with us, that there will be a redeemer, that Jesus has come. And he takes our lives, riddled with sin and selfishness, utter trash, and he takes us, and he makes us new, and he redeems us, and he makes us usable for the kingdom. So a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, that part's important, for those who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Verse 21, and as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. Now I'm going to pause right there in the middle of verse 21. I will make a covenant with them. So one, what is a covenant? A covenant is a promise or a guarantee where God binds himself to us in a relationship of commitment between us, his people, and him. He binds himself. He he commits himself to us. That's the covenant. Yes, in that covenant, there's a response that we will turn and follow him, that that in Christ, that we will live different, that we will live transformed. And so when we do that, our salvation isn't merited on our behavior, it's given to us, that our salvation or our transformation is given to us, then what we do with it is up to us. Now, do we learn how to live in that and surrender? Do we learn how to be transformed by that? Do we learn how to live like Jesus lived? Do we learn how to transform our hearts to want the things that God wants and not want the things that God does not want us to have? So that that process then begins to be a partnership of us surrendering to the Spirit. And Jesus has redeemed us. In other words, there's that now and not yet again. He has made us perfect, but we're not perfect yet. Jesus has done all the work that is necessary for us to be transformed. Now there's our participation in it. That covenant is that God says, when you do this, I will keep up my end. I began, now you respond, then I will transform things and then the they he has made a covenant with his people the them there as for me this is my covenant with them the them is super important it's not limited to israel it's not in fact it isn't Israel. It's judah at the time right it's not limited to the jewish group of people it's talking about those who are repentant those who are turning from their sin those who are in christ being transformed that's the them So God looks forward with this covenant, right? He promises himself, he binds himself to us. He is required to act on the words that he has given us. And he does so like this. If you believe in my redeemer, if you live covered by Jesus, if you are a redeemed person, a Christian, although the word Christian gets watered down today, someone who follows Jesus, who is a part of a church, who is being discipled, who is growing into the image of Christ, If you are that, God says, then I promise these things. And that's what we're going to spend our time on today. So the covenant is to those who will walk with Jesus. So verse 21, here's the whole verse. And as for me, God speaking, this is my covenant with them, those who obey, those who return, those who repent, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth. Now, when you hear put in your mouth, understand this was written primarily in an era where oral tradition meaning people memorized things and passed them on. Only a very few people wrote things down, most memorized. And so when we hear the words that were put in your mouth, meaning God's word, you memorized. Same idea today as a Bible. God's word written down for us, that's our tradition. We don't have that oral tradition unless you're in drama or in art where you memorize. But for us, this would be God's word. So the words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring. Or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth forevermore. This is where we parked last week and we talked about the generational implication of us living distinctly. That that would be passed on from generation to generation. The same is true if we don't live distinctly. If we don't live differently. If we live like the world around us, we'll pass that on to our children. And if they don't make the change, they will pass that on to their children. So God says, if you live like me, here's my covenant with you. If you live the way I've called you to, here's my covenant with you. And so I want to put this, if you're a note taker, word and spirit, God covenants with his people who live according to his word. There's that transformation and are empowered by his spirit that we will one, this is where we spent all our time look different than the world around us. And then two, we will experience a difference in the world today. That's Isaiah 60. So if we live according to God's word, empowered by His Spirit, then the first thing that will be true is we will look different. It will change us, and we will become distinct from the world around us. And the second thing that is true is God will change the world we live in, the actual world we live in today. And God now is going to give us promises about what that will look like if we will be obedient. And I want to hear this today. I want to say this today in the context of everything that's going on. So yesterday, 4th of July, was the weirdest 4th of July ever, right? Father's Day, Mother's Day, oddest ones ever. For sure, this was the most unique Easter I have ever experienced. As we have been separated with stay-at-home regulations and church regulations, and now this. We're in this place where we don't like what's going on. Many people are afraid of the virus, others people are not, but the restrictions that are on us frustrate all of us. We get one answer from a doctor, on the news one day and then we get the exact opposite the next we get the the surgeon general saying one thing and then changing it so no matter where we are on this issue we're all frustrated and then there's racial tension the bubbling's over of hundreds of years of racism is bubbling over again as we've seen some things during this time where black men have been killed and it has caused protests and anger and violence and maybe you're on the side of Black Lives Matter or maybe you're on the side of the you know, police or what, whatever you're doing. You, the frustration is there. And we've spoken about this. We've spoken about the oppression against one group of people and black people. We've, we've talked about what it means to do the right thing no matter who you are. We've, we've talked about what it looks like to live in this culture, but as it is a protracted time, we're all frustrated. And even though we made the decision to go to one service today and to do online only in response to the restriction of no singing, hear me when I say this, I'm frustrated by the hypocrisy that you will say it's okay to go out and protest, but it's not okay to sing in church. Don't mistake our obedience and our submission to authority as agreeing with that we push back, but we do it within the ways that we're called to. We have to obey God in worship. We also have to obey God in submission to authority. So here that we're frustrated, we see the hypocrisy. We see it just like you see it. So to the modern day context, protests, violence, disease, restrictions, potentially government overreach, or at least at minimum, governmental hypocrisy. And I say that on behalf of both sides of the political argument. In that context, in this current thing, the the feelings you have inside of you right now, the things you say on social media, what we have, that anger in the pit of our stomach, that right now, I want you to feel that, but I want you to hear God's words in the midst of that. What will it look like if we do what God has called us to do, even in these circumstances? What will God do in us, through us, and around us if we do? Here's God's promises. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. He says light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. In Isaiah 60, it's a new day. It's a distinct, it's a a change. The darkness of the last passages are gone, and light has come. The Bible uses light and dark, especially the author John in the New Testament. Light and dark is this, is this, this composition image, this contrast image, where we, where we see the distinction between light and dark. When we look at things in the world, we see evil and it's dark, it's ugly, and we're, we're pushed off by it. But when we see things that are just and are holy, they are light, they are beautiful. And Isaiah is saying this, God through Isaiah, more importantly, God is saying this, light has come, the glory of the Lord is upon you. Christians, we need to hear this, and when I say Christians, I mean those who don't just identify as Christians because they're not an atheist or Buddhist, I mean those of us who are given our lives to following our God, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Those people need to hear this, it's upon you that God says, I will put light So contrast that with the dark world we live in today. Verse two, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness, the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And again, I want to make that point. This is about us. Hear this, it says, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth. So that's everybody else, okay? And thick darkness, the peoples, that's everybody else. Then he pivots, but the Lord will arise upon you His glory will be seen upon you. So here's the contrast. The people of God, when they live distinctly and differently from the world around us, God says, I will put my light upon you. Here's what we need to hear today. God doesn't say when you act right, you vote right, when you protest right, then I'll change the government. He didn't say that. Hey, I'll fix your political party. He didn't say that. He says, when you act right, I will put my glory upon you. You will be my people. Then you will live justice and righteousness. You will not only believe right things, but you will act in right ways. Will that impact our nation? Sure. Will it impact our voting? Sure. Will it impact our parties? Maybe. I hope so. But he's saying my glory will be upon you, not upon a political party. My glory will be upon my people, but not just any time, but when they're obedient, when they're living distinctly from the world around us. So there will be a light among darkness. Here's your next note. Even while our world is full of corruption and darkness, we aren't bound by it. God's word and spirit enable us to live as light among dark and corrupt people. We get the opportunity to live as light among dark and corrupt people. And again, hear me, if you're from Generations Church, you know this already. I'm not aiming at a party, I'm aiming at all parties. I'm aiming at the two big ones and anybody else. Politicians have become corrupted. I can't even name good politicians anymore Not for president not for governor not anything else. We're called to pray for them We're called to submit to them as long as they don't tell us to deny our god or worship someone else We're called to submit That doesn't mean I like anything going on or I see that people are good people and just it's the other people But politics are corrupt They're filled with money. They are forced into positions. They change and lie and do things. We know that. We all feel that frustration. Even those of us who are bought into one side or the other, we see the corruption. We can be light in that dark world. We can be different than the corruption and darkness. We, God's people, living God's way, can be light in a dark world. So what would it look like? What would it look like if we... And so we're just going to limit it to Generations Church. I'd say we'll limit it to the people in these four walls, but that's like six of us, so that won't help. If you call yourself part of Generations Church, and I, I want to say this to us. If you're our guest today, we include you. We love you. We're glad you're with us. This is for you. If you're just joining us for whatever reason, maybe you're part of another church, maybe it didn't work out in your live stream with us, this is for us. For those of us that call ourselves Christians, But really, my little limited subset of that is Generations Church. So no matter where you are, if you call yourself a part of this church as a home, as a family, what would it look like if we began to be a people of light in this crazy, ugly, dark, corrupt, angry, protesting, violent, sick and dying world? What would it look like if we were light in a dark world? Verse 3, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now remember, I'm going to do a lot of this on screen, so we'll go through a lot of notes, but it says nations will come to us for hope. So the question is, what will it look like in this crazy world if we began to live right? So there's some assumptions there. I'm assuming, we as the church, I'm not assuming, I'm suggesting God says we're not living right. That we look too much like the world around us. I scroll through my Facebook news feed all the time and watch as Christians post. They're just saying the same things everybody else is saying. And they're divided on the both sides of the argument, but they're saying the same things and they're saying them in the same vitriol as everything else. They're equally as rude. They're equally as condescending. They're equally name-calling. I'm suggesting we're in the, that we're doing the wrong things. That we, the church, are not living rightly. What would it look like if we did? It says the nations will come to us. So here's your first note. The promise of God, right? When we live as God's people, we will become the hope for all nations. The church can be the place people turn to for healing and restoration globally. Now, I edited that line a whole bunch, getting up to this, because I wanted to strike that balance. What do I mean when I say we? Yeah, we're talking about generations, but really the church. This is a promise to the church. This isn't a promise to the US. This isn't a promise to England or Mexico or anybody else. It's a promise to God's people wherever they might be. Do we want to transform our nation? Sure, yes we do. Do we see that our history, imperfect and broken as it is, has a history of people of faith? Yes. Did that solve all the problems? No, because they lived like the rest of the world around them. If this had truly been a Christian nation, We would have looked different than the England we broke away from in ways that would be palatable. We would have gotten rid of slavery a lot faster. We would have advocated for the absence of slavery in other nations quicker. We would have done things differently. I believe people of faith in many cases were the people that helped start this country. But I think they look too much like the world around them. And I think we're guilty of the same thing today. If we can't find our way to look more like Jesus, God will withhold his blessing on us. The promise of God is this, when we live as God's people, we become hope for all nations. The church can be the place people turn to for healing and restoration globally. I was praying with some pastors this last week, and we were all online from all over the world. Acts 29, our church, our, our network, our church planting network. I was praying from two people on the sub-Saharan side of Africa, I was praying from someone in Latin America. I was praying with someone in Germany and someone, I think, in Canada. And as we were praying, people said, listen, we look to the U.S. because you guys are so blessed. And we look to the U.S. to lead. And we were talking about some of the racial things that are going on as well as some of the other things. And I was convicted that the world still looks to us. No matter what you hear on the news about people just thinking this is a great country, or a horrible country, the world still looks to us these pastors said, we still look to you to lead. When the church does what is right, the promises of God is that people will be able to look to us globally, no matter where that church is. Verse four, lift up your eyes all around and see. They gather together, they come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. When we live as God has called us to live, we see hope for future generations. This is where we landed last week and near the end of the message. But the promise of God, here's your note. When we live as God's people, our children will live without the pains that we have endured because we will build a better world for them spiritually, not politically. The last couple generations have handed off an idea that we can politically legislate this nation. That we can do this if we vote for the right things and do the right things, that we can legislate America back into morality. And that hasn't worked, and it won't work. Because morality comes from inside of us. Because even when our hands look good, our heart is corrupt. And God is saying, listen, when you do the right thing, I can use you. But your heart is corrupt. When we live as God's people, our children will live without the pains that we have endured. Why? Because we will hand off a planet that is better spiritually. We will hand off a faith that is better spiritually. We will have dropped the political solutions. We will have leaned into God as our only hope. Verse 5, then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart will thrill and exalt. Listen to the, the joy of what it looks like to live for God. Because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, and those from Sheba will come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. There's that calling on us to praise and sing. That our joy, no matter what the circumstances are, our joy causes us to praise. Verse 7 All the flocks of Kadar shall be gathered to you, the rams of Neboath shall minister to you. They shall come with acceptance on my altar. I will beautify my beautiful house. He's talking about the church, the sanctuary. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? Listen to the peace and the beauty as the gospel becomes the main thing among God's people. He says, who are these that fly like a cloud, like doves to their windows? Not words we would say about us today in culture. Not words we would even say about the church today in modern culture for the most part. That we, have a, a, that we are marked by peace and grace like the clouds and like a dove. It's a beautiful image that God is speaking over those of us if we will just be obedient to him. Verse 9, it says, For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, To bring your children from afar, their silver and gold, with them for the name of the Lord your God. Listen to that. The Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel. God and Jesus, right? Because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls and the king shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. God admits, in my wrath, in my disappointment of your lack of being transformed, being redeemed, being distinct... That I have poured out wrath on you to get your attention. Calling you back didn't work. Calling you to repentance didn't work. So generations, hear this. If you've been here over the last five weeks, you have heard God's call into being a distinct and different people, to be different than the world around us. We've talked about false worship. We've talked about uh, abortion. We've talked about racism. We've talked about justice and righteousness. We have tackled some big topics We've talked we've talked about relevant cultural things and how God is calling us to live distinctly. How God is calling us to be different. We've cried out over and over again, lay down the team jerseys of our politics and follow Jesus. That doesn't mean don't vote. That doesn't mean don't protest. It just means be different. Be different. We don't trust in the politics. We don't even trust in protest. We trust in Jesus alone. And when we live for Jesus alone, no matter what that looks like in our actions, our actions will be just and they will be righteous. Instead, when we don't, when we trust in the worldly systems around us, what we get is we look just like the world around us. Not long ago, I used the example of Israel when they were a theocracy governed by God, governed by God alone. God had a prophet, God had priests, no king. And the people cried out for a king. We want a king like the nations around us, they said. We want to have a king. And God says, you've got me. You don't need a king. They said, no, we want a king. We want to look like the nations around us. Nowhere else in scripture can I think of even close to explaining what it looks like today. No, no, no. We want to look like the world around us. Oh, we want this person's medical system. We want this person's military approach. We want this person's economy. We want this person's lack of economy. Whatever we want. We want like them. And the other side of the equation is we look backwards as if we had it right before. God is saying, no, I need you to look forward to Jesus. I need you to live differently and follow Jesus. Church, when we do this, it will be different. He says this, Foreigners shall build up your walls and the king shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. He's showing us when you live, I will have shown you mercy. So here's another note for you, the promise of God. When we live as God's people, we welcome others in and are at peace with them. We will not see race or class, but rather people made in the image of God. People made in the image of God. We will not see race or class or financial status or influence or politics or whatever. What we will see is people created by God in the image of God, and we will welcome people. Church, you need to hear this. Church can be some of the most clicky, racially divided places on the planet. There's an old statistic that says basically that the church is the most segregated moment, the Sunday morning service, is the most segregated place in America because there's white churches and black churches and generations church. We are privileged not to have that. We have no real dominant ethnicity. We look like the neighborhood around us. But just think about that. Why would the church not be the first ones to be diverse? Why would the church not be the first ones to look like the neighborhood rather than just looking like one another in the room? When you do that, he says, you welcome people in. The church, we need to be the most welcoming place on the planet when someone comes in off the street looking for hope, looking for life. I don't care if they look like us or they look exactly opposite of us. We need to be the most welcoming place on the planet. We need to be a people that welcome those from outside in. Verse 11, he says, your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. He speaks to their business and their prosperity. I don't want to confuse this. God is not saying, if you obey me, I'm going to make you rich. He's not going to say, hey, if you send a little more money into the church, I'm going to make you rich. That's the prosperity doctrine, and it manipulates and robs people. It is the modern-day version of the Pharisees in the temple that Jesus chased out at the end of a whip. Those that preach that if you do this, God wants to make you rich, and there's some famous, famous people on TV right now telling you how God wants to bless you and make you wealthy. That's not what he's saying. He's saying your business and your prosperity comes through me, your obedience to me. So the promise of God, when we live as God's people then God provides for us. We're not worried about making and keeping money, but about worshiping and giving generously. Right? We're not worried about how are we going to make ends meet. We're worried about, hey, how do I get to bless others with this because God has provided for me? Not, hey, I want to be rich, but hey, God has made me wealthy in all kinds of ways. How can I now bless one another? How can I live in a sacrificial way? Verse 12, for the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations that shall be utterly laid waste. Nations in kingdom that will not serve you, meaning Jesus, that will not obey you, shall be laid to waste. Next slide is the promise of God. Will we live as God's people, anyone opposing us is God's enemy, not our problem. Let me say that again. Anyone opposing us is God's enemy and not our problem. Global peace. We live in peace. We live in security in the gospel. We live in Christ. We live in a place of unrest today. There's constant tensions, and and is some of it drummed up by the media? Sure. Do I think we're on the brink of war with China, Russia, or anybody else? I don't know. The media wants to say that. They want that, that feeling of unease, the lack of peace, the tension, the anger. But God says, in my kingdom, there's peace. And if someone opposes that peace, they're my problem, not yours. You will live in peace. You will live in Christ. Verse 13, the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you. And all who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion, the Holy One of Israel. There is this interspersed language throughout Isaiah 60 where where God is speaking to us, but he's also speaking to Jesus at times. As he said earlier, the the, 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 the God of Israel and then the Holy One of Israel. He defines the difference, the distinction that through our Savior this is possible. In this case, he talks about just as people who will not submit to you become God's problem. He says this. That worship will be ubiquitous, global, unanimous. It will be throughout. That people will worship Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, again, we live in that now and not yet. Right now, the current now is not that Jesus hasn't done all the work and already ascended to the throne and is king of kings and lord of lords, because that's true. But the world is slowly getting on board. In fact, the church is barely getting on board. That Jesus is king and not our political divisions, that Jesus is Lord and not our own self-will or what makes me happy, and I'll say it and, and, and risk the offense, but that Jesus governs us, not a constitution. Yes, we have been blessed with a constitution. We live in a place better than other places where we get freedoms, but Jesus is who we are submitted to, and Jesus draws the boundaries, not our constitution. We live within Jesus' boundaries and by what our constitution gives us. We don't get to throw out what Jesus wants. Worship will be ubiquitous. Everyone will worship Jesus, the promise of God. Here's your next slide. When we live as God's people, worship is what we do daily, not just on occasions. Worship becomes a daily rhythm. It is the rule, not the exception. Worship becomes what we do. Not just, again, it's not just singing. It's singing a valuable, vital, required part of our worship. Yes, it is. Just as prayer is, just as the word is, just as serving one another is, just as living in ways that glorify God, all those things will be what we do all the time, not just on Sundays during these hours. But we will live to glorify God. We will sing those songs as we go to work. We will live in ways that glorify God and serve others throughout the week. That we will be different. We will be marked as a different people. Verse 15 whereas you have been forsaken and hated, God looks back, where have you been forsaken and hated, he says, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. So here's that contrast where you were forsaken and hated. I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. Here's the problem. Here's the promise to us. If you feel forsaken and hated right now, if you're you're black and you feel forsaken and hated by the nation you've grown up in, God says, I will make it all right. If you're white and conservative and right now you feel forsaken and hated in this nation, maybe you've served in the military and you're like, man, why? Why? You will feel majestic and glorified by God. If you're a cop right now, I really don't want to trade places with you. You have the hardest job in our nation right now. When all the news is stringing about defund your job, you feel forsaken and hated in many cases. God says, don't worry, I've got you. I will make you majestic. I will raise you up in Christ. He says this, I'm gonna reread that verse. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic from forever, a joy from age to age, What a comfort that is, no matter who you are or where you are or what you're enduring. Verse 16, you shall suck the milk of nations. You shall nurse at the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. You will know I, Jesus says, am your Lord, your savior, redeemer, not your political party, me, not your own self-will, me, Jesus says, not the constitution, not anything else. Not your church, not your pastor. Jesus is our Savior. And that we will know that He is our Savior and our Redeemer. That we can trust in no one other than Jesus. And that we should be able to grow into that to where the church becomes a trustworthy place. To where the church becomes a place where God pours out revival. His presence, His power, His promise. When He does this, there was three Ps. Somewhere, there's a Baptist jumping up and down for three Ps. Anyhow, so... Anyhow... So God says this, I want to bring this to you. You're in the way. Your sin is in the way. Turn, follow me. I want to give you this. I want to make you the people that others can flock to, can run to, can bring their their fears and you will provide hope, who can bring their anger and their pain and you will provide healing and redemption. I want our church to be that, God says. Verse 17, instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood and bronze, instead of stones, iron, I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders, you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Listen to that. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Contrast that with today. Devastation or destruction within your borders, contrast that with today. You shall call your walls salvation, your gates praise justice and peace, not violence and anger. Here's the next note. The promise of God. When we live as God's people, justice and peace become who we are. We will not be people of protest, anger, war, or division, but people of justice and peace. Now, let me, let me caution you before you repeat that. We will become that because things will be different. Right now, is protest warranted? You can make that decision. I would say there is a need for that speaking up of protest. I think there's a voice that needs to be heard. Again, I hate the hypocrisy of no singing in church and yet it's okay to go out and protest. Make it even, throw it out there. Let us do what God has called us to do, really. Let us gather and let us do that together. But we will submit as long as it's not calling us away from God. But on the other side of that, the reasons for protest right now, whether you agree or disagree, there's a sense that something needs to change. And for most of us, on Memorial Day, when we watched George Floyd die, we know something needs to change. I don't have the answers of what needs to change. But we saw injustice. When I talk about us being a people of no protest, no anger, no hatred, no war, I talk about us living in a new time where people are treated rightly, where everyone is treated rightly, where black lives matter and all lives matter, where you can say that and nobody freaks out because you're picking a team, but where actually life matters, where unborn life matters, where people from outside are welcomed in, where people inside are, cer- are searching for those who need the blessing of the church brought to them. That we will live in a different place, and so because of that we will be a different people. Verse 19, as Isaiah winds up this chapter, he says, "The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor your brightness shall be the moon that give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended." Here's what happens here, and it's beautiful. What happens is God says, "Listen, I'm going to pour out my blessing and light and glory on you, you, the church. I'm going to make you a light in a dark world. And what happens is it starts with that one light or two lights or three lights or a hundred lights and it spreads outward. If you've ever been in a Christmas Eve service where you do a candlelight service and you just watch as the flame kind of just spreads its way over the congregation. Think of that in a dark world, that people become light in a dark world, so much so that it begins to light up the world, and then all of a sudden it comes to its consummation where Jesus becomes the light of the world, and no longer do we need sun or moon, because everything will be made light by Jesus. These are the words that we hear again in Revelation 21 where it says this, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb By its light will the nations walk. Will the kings of the earth bring their glory into it? Its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Revelation is saying what Isaiah is promising. But here's where we live. We live in the now and the not yet. We live here where we get to be the light. But as that light spreads, as that light takes hold, it consummates in Jesus being that eternal light We get to bring a foretaste of heaven here today. We get to be a part of the change in a world that is broken and dark. We get to be light. We get to bring the light of Jesus to other people, but not until we look like Jesus. Not until we live like Jesus. Not until we pursue justice and righteousness and fairness and equity. Not until we pursue those things. Not until we turn from our selfishness and run towards Jesus. Not until we give up our parties and divisions. And become one team, team Jesus. Then we will be light. Then our light will spread. Then it will spread so much, it will consume the world. And Jesus will reign forever. Verse 22, the least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Hear that. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. I am the Lord. This isn't dependent upon you and me. God says it will be true. We get to participate in it. We get to be a different people, a distinct people. We get to be a people who, imperfect as we are, get to start being transformed by Christ, looking more and more like Jesus for as long as we get to live. We get to participate in God transforming the world we live in. We get to participate in the restoration of all things. So what do we do? What do we do to bring apart, to to bring about this glory of God? What do we do to to start being those people of light? What do we do to become a part of the change, a, a part of the hope, a part of the transformation? I want to close with three quick thoughts, and I will leave these to you. The first one, believing becomes living. People transformed by Jesus believe that he is what we need, and they live that way. We let go of hoping or believing in human solutions, and we begin to live in faith. I'm not saying abandon the world we live in. I'm saying let's transform the world we live in. We will never transform the world we live in if we trust in human beings and not trust in Jesus. When we live like the world around us and not live like Christ has called us to, when we start placing all our faith and all our hope and all our future in Jesus, we will start to change. And when we start to change, the world around us will change. When the world around us changes, light enters into the world. And when that light finally consumes the world, when that light grows and perpetuates, one day Jesus will reign here on earth. Second one true now, true eternally. People transformed by Jesus live for what is true now and what will be forever. We live for Jesus now, and we participate in God transforming our world. We live for what Jesus calls us to today. We we believe that we're a part of the change. We also live knowing one day it'll all be right. One day it will all be transformed by Jesus. We live with great hope, because Jesus has accomplished that. And God says, I am the Lord. I will hasten it. I will accomplish it. Finally, gospel hope, not political People transformed by Jesus strive for gospel transformation instead of political solutions. Let me say it again. People transformed by Jesus strive for gospel transformation instead of, in place of, political solutions. We live and think more like Jesus and less like our politicians. And I say this across the board. I say this for any political party. I've watched as idolatry has taken over the church and politics, that they have become the idol. They must be the solution. We will legislate what it looks like to call a marriage a marriage or a gender a gender. We'll, we'll fight for this. We'll do this. We'll fight for the market. we'll We'll legislate change. And here's the problem it's never, ever, ever worked. Because change comes from within, and only Christ can change our hearts. We must live for the one solution that can work. And we must lay down the idolatry of the other solutions. Christians should participate. Christians should vote. Christians should also vote from their faith. The problem that we have today is politics have defined our faith rather than our faith defining our politics. And I know I can see the comments and read the emails already. I know. No, but this. This party's against this, or this party's for this, or whatever. I got you. Jesus. Be for Jesus. Be for Jesus. Let your faith inform your life, including your politics. Don't let your politics inform your faith, and that's what we see today. Generations Church, I love you. I know this will sit uneasy with many of you, and it will be, it will sit with you uneasily on both sides of the conversation. But hear me, when God says our one hope is Christ. We can't go wrong by pursuing our one true hope. Generations Church, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We love you enough to admit we're idolatrous. We give ourselves to politics. We give ourselves to parties. We give ourselves to the division. We call the other side names. We we do this, we do that. We buy into the rhetoric. We think we can vote on what things look like, and it will transform our culture. Jesus, help us transform our culture by our lives being different. Forgive us for the ugliness on social media. Forgive us that we buy into the two-party system. Forgive us that we buy into the news media and the hype. Forgive us that we think we can vote and legislate change. Forgive us. Forgive us that we post more politically than we do spiritually. Forgive us. We have become an idolatrous church in this nation. Forgive us and draw us to you. Let your church rise up, Jesus. Let us be different. Let us be informed by your word and let it cause action that is in line with that. No politician will ever represent all that you represent, no party can ever represent all that you represent because they also represent division. And Jesus, you are unity. You have united us with the Father. You have united us with each other and you desire to see unity in the church. You desire to see unity and peace in the world. Jesus, will you do that through us? Use us, your church, to be a people that live here and now, that believe in the not yet and strive to see it take root today. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.